Hello, and welcome to the History of India podcast. This is Series 5, Episode 0, Bumbles on Bumbles. So this is the introductory episode to season five, a quick preview of what's going to be going on this season. We're going to talk about what we'll talk about and what we won't talk about, and then we'll have a story to compensate. I've been busy trekking up and down the country. It's been a chance of a lifetime, actually. In the last two weeks alone, we've driven the equivalent of London to Morocco and back again, visiting sites, talking to people, picking up stories. Along the way, I've managed to swallow up another 16 kilograms of books, almost all of which were packed with absolute jewels of history. Tasty, but rather difficult to swallow. So there's an awful lot to get excited about this season, and I can't wait. Once again, we're going to be among the people of the city of Patliputra. We'll be starting this season around the time of the death of Harsha, that's 647 AD. Back then, Patliputra was nothing much more than a a village huddled against the river, with some dark ruins behind it. The centre of North Indian politics, which had for so long in the ancient period been focused on Pataliputra, had now moved 15 days' walk upstream, to the city that Harsha had made his capital, Kanyakubja, the city of hunchback maidens. Around North India, kings will rise and wrestle with one another to gain control of this new centre of power, Kanyakubja. And their armies wash past Patliputra on the way, before those kings fall and their empires fall into silence again. This season we're going to be sticking by the people of Patliputra as the city grows slowly back into importance, becomes the capital of an empire once again. We'll be following them all the way up until the invasion of Mahmud of Ghazni. That's three years before the millennium. All in all, 350 years in a single season. Here's the quick preview. The first hundred years or so after Harsha dies, about them, we know surprisingly little. There are some great names, some kings who rise and claim an empire. But inevitably... They die, and after that, there's little or nothing left. After the first hundred years is what the fancy history books call the three-way struggle, and even fancier history books call it the tripartite struggle. On the standard way of telling this story, there are three empires struggling with one another. Although actually, since we're focusing on Pataliputra, it's easy to see it as two empires in a tug-of-war across North India. From the west, the Gujaratihara's, and from the east, the Palas. And occasionally, an empire from the south intervenes, attacking one side or the other or both. They are the Rashtrakutas. The main episodes we be focusing on this two-way struggle, Barpai-type struggle, I suppose, if you want to be fancy, We'll focus on Rashtrakutas and South India more in the special episodes. So that's where all of this history fits in for those reading along at home. Some historians, usually the more old-fashioned ones, call this the early medieval period. Other historians say that the Middle Ages of the medieval period ended later or that it ended sooner, 
And still other historians say that this ancient medieval distinction doesn't make any sense in Indian history. Whole forests have been felled to produce paper for all of the debates on this topic. We're not going to be very interested in this on this podcast. Maybe I should just take a minute to explain why. These debates about whether harsh as death was the end of the ancient age and the beginning of the medieval age, I don't think they tell us that much about the past. Imagine historians centuries from now looking back on our own time. And like our own historians, these future historians write interesting books with paradoxical sounding titles, remaining in Brexit, becoming a Bitcoin, and the most unlikely title of all, Donald Trump, Art of the Deal. Anyway, suppose that these future historians all agree on one thing. Our time, the opening decades of the 21st century, was the turning of an age. It was a new order imposed on us, as big as the shift from the ancient to the medieval. And suppose the future historians write a long book about why this period was the turning of the age, and it somehow slipped through a a wormhole and we found it, and we read this rather long discussion of the fact that we're in this new period. What would it tell us? Not very much, I think. I mean, it would tell us that the world's changing quite radically, but the world's always changing, and it's always changing radically in some way or other. The book would only really tell us that the world is changing radically in ways that the future historians thought interesting. So really, the future history book would only tell us about the future historians. It wouldn't tell us much about ourselves. And here's the thing. To the people of India after Harsha's death, we are the future historians. We are debating whether their time was the turning of an age. But that debate might not say more than what we care about, what we, the future historians, are interested in. But I'm not interested in what we're interested in. I'm interested in what Indians in the past are interested in, if you see my point. And just before we get to the story, a quick and uncomfortable word about religion. This is the time that Islam lands up on the edge of India, with Islamic rulers starting to invade and to take control of some parts of northwest India. As you probably know, this history catches fire very easily. It has to be handled with care. So, cards on the table. I love Hindus, I love Hinduism. They probably make up near majority of my closest family and friends, and reading uh, Hindu philosophy takes a lot of my time. And I love it. I also love Islam and Muslims. Again, I've got many close friends, and a lot of my favourite books are about this. So you won't be hearing either Islam is evil or Hinduism is evil on this podcast. If that's not for you, no worries. Let's part company now as friends. For anyone still listening, wonderful. From now on, I'll try to keep my own views out of it as much as possible, trying to stick as close as I can to Indian historians working in respected institutions. I'm going to fail, though. I'm going to get some facts wrong, or I'll, I'll throw away some offensive remark. 
no offence is intended. I'm just a bumbler. That, that's an explanation, it's not an excuse. For the offence, for the mistakes, I should apologise in advance. I'm sorry. A touch of housekeeping. I finally got my source of books sorted, so the episodes will return to once a week for the regular season. It's going to be Wednesday evenings, New York time. Occasionally, we'll go back and cover some ground from earlier series, and when we do that, that will be marked by the episode number. You can tell which season episode is just from the episode numbers. The first number is always the season number, one to five. So roughly Mauryan, Kushan, Gupta, Harsha, tripartite periods. Numbers below 100 are regular episodes covering the people and rulers of Patliputra, 5.1, 5.2, and so on. Numbers with letters, 5.a, 5.b, are special episodes covering anything from chapels to jolas and other things not beginning with ja. Um, on iTunes, you can't have letters in your episode number for some reason, so instead of 5a, 5b, these are 501, 502. The really cunning will be able to spot how to tell the season just from the episode name, ignoring the number, but I'll leave that to you. This season I'm going to throw some more dates about because a few people have asked for it. A historian friend of mine says that dates just are history. I'm not a fan of dates myself, so long as the order and length of time are clear enough, but it does help people work out what else is going on in the world. And we have some pretty fixed and clear dates from this period onwards. This podcast is advert-free, always will be. I'm doing it to honour my wife. If you listen to Stitcher, they put in ads. I've got no control on that. I make no money from that. For those who donate to my wife's charity... I'm immensely grateful. It means more than I can put into words. Thank you. Finally, I think I've never said this. Uh, my name's Kit. You can email me on the History of India podcast at gmail.com or through the website. I've been pretty bad last few months at emails, so many apologies for those I've missed. Very rude of me. If you send them again, I'll definitely respond from now on. After all of that fuss, we need a blaster of a story to compensate. Fortunately, there's a positive bombardment of stories during this season, including the famous Dundon, author of The Ten Princes and other great works. Last season, we met his grandfather. This season, we'll meet the man himself. And here's one of the great stories from The Ten Princes. An oldie, but a goodie. So... Prince Apaharavarman was wandering into town, and he spent some time in the gambling house. He leant back, and he watched the games going on, the sleights of hand, the bullying, the tricks. Ooh, bad move, he said as he watched one player. All right, mate, let's finish this game, and then you'll play me, and we'll see how good you are, said the person he had criticised. And that's what happened. Finished the game, and then the prince played the person he criticised, and the prince won big, 
and he gave half of his money away to the people there and kept the rest for himself. He could give half the money away because he didn't really have any money worries. And that's because that night he was going on a robbery. He dressed up in dark cloth. He carried a short sword on his belt, a spade to dig through the wall. He also carried some less expected things, a a wooden man's head, a magic candle, and a box with a bee in it. The bee was supposed to go around and put out any candles before anyone could see him. He wandered around the dark streets of the town until he found a house that looked both quiet and rich. And using the spade, he carved a hole in the wall. And then he took the wooden man's head and he poked it through the hole. There was no reaction. No arrow hit the head. No sword cut at it. So he pulled it out and he poked his own head through. The house was quiet. He used the spade to make the hole bigger and he slipped through the gap. He was in not 10, 15 minutes. He came out again with a big bag of swag. But just as he was coming out into the street again, he found a young woman. Obviously, she was startled to see this robber come out in front of her. So she almost yelled in alarm, but he said, "Okay, don't worry, don't worry. I'm not going to harm you. Who are you? My name is Kulapalaka, she said. I'm a merchant's daughter. When I was young, I was engaged to this, this, this boy I really liked, Dunamitra. He was also a merchant's son, but you know, he gave his money away. His friends took advantage of him, and he became poor. And now that we're of the right age to marry, my father has refused to allow us to marry. My father doesn't want me to marry a poor person. So what I'm doing is I'm slipping out in the dead of night, and I'm going to see him. Okay, that's an interesting story. Tell you what, said the prince, I'll, I'll come with you. I'll guide you through the streets. Make sure you don't run into any robbers or anything nasty like that. So they marched off through the streets. But then they heard, up ahead of them, the city guard coming towards them. There was no escape. There was no way back. They were bound to be seen. So the prince said to the, to the merchant's daughter, don't worry, just tell them that I'm your husband and I've been bitten by a snake. And then he fell to the floor and started writhing as if in agony. The city guard jogged up to the couple and said, what's going on here? The princess explained, this is my husband, he's been bitten by a snake. One of the city guard pushed to the floor. Ah, I know everything there is to know about snake bites. I can, I can cure him for sure. And he started kneeling over the prince, giving incantations, weaving charms, muttering things. But the prince didn't seem to get better. He kept on writhing in, in pain and agony until at last he was still. Oh, that's a pity, said the would-be snake healer. Oh, it must have come too late, or maybe he was fated to die. Tell you what, uh, uh, you wait here with your husband and, and we'll go off, we'll, we'll, we'll get a stretch, we'll, we'll come and collect him in a bit. Just wait here. And with that, the city guard marched off down the street. As soon as they'd turned the corner, the prince was up, picked up his bag of swag, and the two of them ran off through the dark streets. Soon they arrived at her lover's house, and he let them in. 
And they were chatting, and the prince said to the couple, well, what are you going to do next? And the lover said, well, there's no choice. I'm poor now. I'm, I'm not going to be able to get rich. And so long as I'm not rich, her father's never going to allow us to marry. So we've got no choice. We, we've got to run away. Hmm, said the prince. I see your problem. And you know, you could make a new life for yourself. You're a clever man, and anyone who's clever enough can find a home in any place. But the problem is getting there. Travelling is hard. I've done a lot of it. You guys, you're probably not up to it. And it's also not your only choice, because I've got another plan. Let's all go back to her father's house and bring two big bags. So they made their way through the dark streets. This time they didn't run into any of the city guard. And they entered uh, her father's house. They entered by a secret passage that she'd been using to escape in the night. And once they're in there, the lover and the prince gathered all of the riches, all of the gold, all of the jewels, put them in the bags. And then they slipped out the secret entrance through the dark streets, out of the dark town to some ruins just outside where they buried their riches. On the way back, they ran into the city guard again, but thankfully there was an elephant tied up by the side of the road. So quick-thinking prince pulled at the rope which was tying the elephant, and they got on the elephant's back, and they, they run away through the city streets, out of sight. They kept the elephant by the side of a wall, they jumped over using some trees into some, to a garden, and then they were home. By this time, it was almost morning, so they had a quick bath, and they went to bed. When they woke, they stepped out into the town to listen to the gossip. And there was some grand news. Apparently, the night before, a whole entire army had invaded the town with elephants charging, and it's a miracle that buildings weren't knocked and splintered anywhere, and the city guard managed to chase them out and wipe them out completely. But that was the only news. And that was a problem, because the prince had hoped that the woman's father, now he was poor, would have no longer been able to marry her daughter to the intended betrothed. The idea was that now the woman's father was poor, her wedding would be cancelled and she would be allowed to marry her lover. But it hadn't worked out like that. The person she was now going to marry was from a family who wasn't very superficial, who didn't care that she didn't have money, and the wedding was still on. She was still going to marry the wrong guy. Don't worry, the prince told the lover. I've got a new plan. Listen, you used to be rich. You can get a private audience with the king. Just go and meet him and say exactly what I'm about to tell you. And so he told the man what to say, and the man went off to get a private audience with the king. Before the king, the young man said, You knew me before when I was a rich man. My name is Dhanamitra. Well, I lost all my wealth. I lost everything. I lost my friends. So I decided to go to the forest, not knowing what to do. And there I ran into an old man, a, a devotee, an ascetic, and he asked me what I was doing there, and I explained that I was in this great pit of despair, having lost absolutely everything. Well, don't do anything rash, the old man told me. 
A broken fortune, you can repair that, but a cutthroat, you can never stitch that up again. And anyway, said the old man to me, I've got this cure for you. I've got this leather bag here. I used to use it to assist people, but but now I'm old, I'm dying. I'm going to give it to you and right this wrong. So take this bag, the old man told me, and first of all, make sure that you give away absolutely everything that you acquired wrongfully. Give away everything. And then as long as you're not owning anything that you've acquired wrongly, then this bag, this leather bag in the morning will be full of gold. It'll only work for merchants and actresses and monks, but it will work for you. That's the story that the young man told the king. And the king believed him. And he was really quite charmed by the whole thing. He said, wonderful, wonderful, go home. I promise to punish anyone who steals that purse from you. I hope you get very rich. I hope you get everything that you lost back. So the young man, the lover, went home and he started to give away his possessions, pretty much anything he had, down to the clothes on his back, so he was just wearing a cloth around his waist. He went to sleep and in the morning he burst out of his house and he said, it's filled with gold, it's filled with gold. He held up the leather purse, he opened it out and indeed it was filled with gold. He became the talk of the town. And that's how the prince and the lover were able to account for this new wealth. And the father of the woman, well, he was very impressed by this man, suddenly flush again with money. And he remembered that they'd once been engaged, his daughter and this man. And without even prompting, he suggested to his daughter that she marry her lover. Not that the purse was real, of course. He didn't produce gold. The gold was the very same gold that the prince and the lover had stolen from the father's house. So the father had been tricked into admiring a man using his own money. The leather bag will go on other adventures and cause more troubles, but that's a story for another day. And that's it for this introductory episode. I hope you enjoy this series, and if you do enjoy the podcast, please consider donating to my wife's charity, the Snehal Sidhu Patrick Memorial Fund. Details are on the website, there's a link to that in the description. I really appreciate all who have given, thank you so much. Next week, the season starts proper. So until then, have a great week, and take care. <laughs>